It's 2023, we made it. I wanna ask you, what's happening this year? As we kind of look forward, today's only the first day, there's 365 more, well, including the rest of today. What are you looking forward to? What are you hoping for? Yeah, Ezekiel, what are you hoping for? You're looking forward to going fishing. Awesome. And catching something when you go fishing? Yeah, yeah cool. Adelaide? You're looking forward to going on camp? Yep. James, what are you looking forward to? I didn't hear that. Going fishing, okay. Yes, Rosie? Going to visit our old church. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. Uh, Adelaide. You're looking forward to school. Awesome. I'm glad you are. Anyone else? Uh, Naomi, what are you looking forward to? Or... Hmm. Yeah, we've seen a few uh, a few days recently, haven't we? Over Christmas, where we've had bigger numbers than normal, and hasn't it been wonderful to join together in praise of our God? Wouldn't it be great to see that happening more often, more regularly here? Anyone else? What are you What are you working towards this year? What's happening on the agenda? Nothing. A quiet year. Is that what you're looking forward to? Yeah, something you're not sure yet? Graduating, yes. Awesome. Gabby's looking forward to graduating. There's, there's lots of different things we look forward to, isn't there? Lots of different things on our, on our minds, on our agenda for the year. I started filling in the calendar for this year, I don't know, months ago. For us as a church, just locking in some key dates of things that are happening uh, and there's lots of things that are exciting. Christmas is coming. <laughs> Not long now, is it? It'll come quickly. But there's lots of other things. We, we're f- going to have our delayed visit from the Archbishop. He's going to be here and, and to teach us from God's Word. And that's going to be really exciting. We're looking forward to gathering together with men and women other from around the area. We're looking forward to participating more actively in events, seeking to engage with our neighbours and our community. More, as we proceed through COVID, get a bit more of it behind us. We can make more firm plans and get some bigger events back on the calendar. That's exciting. And what are the things you're looking forward to, you're thinking about? Is there a holiday that you are gearing up for? Is it something at work, some project that you are working towards? setting aside energy and focus for, you want to tick that off. Maybe it's not work, maybe it's retiring. Maybe it's conquering work. Maybe you've been saving up for something that this year is the year that you're going to make that purchase, investment. Maybe it's relational. Maybe there's people that you are longing to see and maybe this year is the chance when you'll get to catch up with them. Wonderful. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. A wedding of a grandson. <laughs> Just waiting patiently till it comes. But it's still exciting to anticipate, isn't it? 
those kind of things. And maybe it's the maybe someone in your family you're looking forward to meeting. Maybe it's someone new. You're just holding out for that new friendship. You're looking forward for that fresh air, fresh air. There's lots of things that we we can build up towards, isn't there? And the start of the year is naturally a time when we focus on that. And some people set goals and those kind of uh, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do this and this, and I'm going to achieve this, and I'm going to go on a health kick, and I'm going to learn a new language, and I'm going to transform the garden, and I'm going to not fall into the same habits that I've been living out for 17 years. Uh, Whatever it is, now's the time we often think about that. But as we are... As we are doing this, we're, we're starting a new sermon series here at church. We're turning back to Luke's gospel. We'd been studying it earlier, beginning early time last year, and we left off at about chapter 9. And we're coming back, catching up, and we're going from Luke 9, and we're going to look at it throughout January and study the chapters Luke 9 and 10. And what we see here, well, what we see, let me read you the first verse. Luke 9.51 says this, As the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We'd stopped here and we're starting again here because this is a key turning point in Luke's gospel. As As he retells the things that happened in Jesus' life, this is a turning point. No longer are we just getting to know Jesus and he's focusing on ministry in Galilee in the north. At this point, He's been doing his ministry. He's been gathering disciples. He's been teaching and people have been recognizing and coming to understand a bit of who he was. And now he turns his face towards Jerusalem. And for the next 10 chapters, chapters 9 to 19, we see Jesus traveling to Jerusalem. And he, as he does this, he focuses really on teaching. What does it mean to be someone who follows Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be part of that kingdom? And we're just going to focus on the first part of that in chapters 9 and 10. And what we see, the big overarching theme, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Is It means to be involved in costly discipleship. There's lots of teaching here about the difficulty of following Jesus. He doesn't want us to be surprised doesn't want people to underestimate, to take it on too light. So he teaches them. Uh, Would you turn with me? Turn with me to Luke chapter 9 and we will read together this section. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, 
the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Some hard teachings about discipleship. It's costly. And particularly, I've called this, uh, this particular sermon, right? I've called it nothing. Costly, I'd call it a costly commitment. Um, Jesus here is illustrating and negotiating different responses to who he is. At first, there's the Samaritan village. And they, what's their response? They don't welcome him at all. They don't want to know about him. Why? Because, we're told, not because he's a Jew, which could have been tension there. Jews and Samaritans didn't have an easy relationship. They could have said, no, you're a Jew, we don't want you in our town. That's not it. Is it because... They'd heard about the disruption he's caused already and they thought, we don't want him to come and kind of disrupt things here. We heard about our friends up in the way who lost a whole herd of pigs and it ran down into, a, into the lake. We don't want a destruction of our livestock. No, that's not it. They don't welcome him because of his agenda. Jesus is going to Jerusalem and they don't want they don't want him with his Jerusalem-shaped agenda coming and staying in their town. Now, we're not given the exact details of why this is. And maybe it is, maybe they knew the tension that surrounded him. Maybe they heard people talking about, this is the king. This is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the promised king. And they saw this king's going down to Jerusalem and this is going to be political trouble and we don't want to put our lot in with this guy who's going to stir things up. We don't want to end up on to say we were being seditious to supporting this rebellion, this new king. Maybe they were afraid of that. Maybe, maybe they'd listened more closely. They understood Jesus a bit better. Maybe they had heard what he taught, not just about going to Jerusalem and recognizing his kingship, but maybe they had got word of the fact that he was going there to die. Jesus himself had taught this to his disciples. That his future in Jerusalem wasn't to be crowned in glory and honor and for all the Romans to kind of bow down and acknowledge him as the true king and for Israel as a nation to be restored. Maybe the Samaritans knew that his future was suffering. And equally, they thought, well, we don't want to be part of that. Now, whatever the case, they don't accept him. They don't welcome him. And so Jesus turns to another town. That's, that's fine. But in the midst, there's this kind of backlash from James and John. They say, we're not welcoming you, Jesus. Let's call down fire, just like Elijah did back in the old days. He prayed and fire came down 
Maybe we could, we could do that again. And whatever it is the Samaritans were thinking, here James and John weren't on the same wavelength as Jesus. They hadn't got it. Jesus is going to Jerusalem as he's already told them to die. He's going there to deal with the problem of sin. That people, his own people, reject him, rejected God's authority over their lives. That's a problem. It's a problem that brings them rightly under God's judgment. It would have been right for God to send down fire from heaven to consume them. But at this point, what's the agenda of Jesus? He's going to Jerusalem to die for sinners. He's not at the point of bringing judgment. That will come. But that's not the point he's up to. So he rebukes them, says no. There's the Samaritans, they don't welcome him. That's one, that's one response to Jesus. Flat out, say no. We see many people do that, don't we? Many people we know and love. Many people just generally in our culture. In fact, there's been more and more people. The statistics have gone up to the point where more people in the last census ticked the box of no religion than ticked any other box. It's the most popular religion, no religion. We know that response. But as we, as we continue reading, it's not the only wrong response to Jesus, is there? As Jesus meets these three men, we see slightly different ways that they haven't understood, haven't grasped the cost of commitment to Jesus. What's involved in putting up your hand and saying, yes, I'll be one of your followers. There's three men, wasn't there? The first one, first one, he's very eager. I'll follow you wherever you go. If the Samaritans don't want you because you're going to Jerusalem, I'll come with you and go to Jerusalem. Wherever. And Jesus replies to this kind of enigmatic statement, doesn't he? Foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And what's he, what's he illustrating by this point? Saying, if you come with me, there is no destination. Wherever you go on this earth, you'll never find your final home. The Son of Man doesn't have a resting point in this world. He doesn't have a point where finally he'll be welcomed. He doesn't have a point where he can relax, he can lay down his head in safety. He who made the world came into the world and had no place of acceptance within. And that's what his disciples ought to expect. If you follow Jesus, you're not looking for worldly resolution, for all things to be at peace and final and conclusive here. Jesus' destination, the trajectory of his journey, isn't 
taking him to Jerusalem where things are going to be set right. They're taking him to ultimate rejection, betrayal, suffering, and finally, ejection from the world through death. you want to follow Jesus, you have to acknowledge that the world is not our home. Not in this present state. There'll be a point where Jesus returns and he does bring judgment and he will bring renewal to the world. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth that is the home, the home of Jesus fully and finally. And it is the home that his followers can look forward to. But that's not here and now. If we follow Jesus, we don't find a place of rest where we belong. The second man comes up and Jesus says to him, hey, come follow me. And what does the man says? Well, he seems, he seems to be amenable. He seems to be willing. But, he brings in a qualification, doesn't he? He says, oh, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. I've got this other job that I need to do. This is the following Jesus, but. Yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I'm also, I've got this other thing that I think is really important that needs to happen first. It's taking priority. And what does Jesus say to him? Let the dead bury their own dead you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You might think that's, that's so harsh. Like going back to do, do a funeral. It's going to take, what, a couple of days? Maybe a couple of weeks. I, I don't know the exact specifics of the burial rituals at that time. We're not told. But it's temporary. Once you, once you finish that, then he's freed up. And maybe it's tempting for you to think that way too. Yes, we, we recognize Jesus. He's important and we want to be his follower. But we're just so crowded out with these other things that are important. These things that we need to do. These things that are weighing on us. These things that take precedence often. Have a greater claim over us. Sometimes a greater urgency. What, what could be more urgent than... Burying a dead body. Being a follower of Jesus. Being someone who is pursuing the kingdom of God has to be the priority that rides above everything else. But now, some people argue that maybe it wasn't just that he was going to a funeral. It was that his dad hadn't even died yet. And he said, like, let me get that period of life out of way. Well, it's possible. But I think the, the point of, of Jesus is making is bigger than whatever specific situation it is. If it's going back for a few days for a funeral, or if it's going back for 
a few years to wait out that period of life until his father died, potentially, until he could claim inheritance. Whatever it is, Jesus is your first priority. Your number one has got to be the kingdom of God. There's nothing more urgent than that. It's a hard saying, isn't it? As you think about your own life, what things crowd out your pursuit of the kingdom of God? What other priorities are jostling for position, for your attention, for your time, for your energy, space in your calendar, space in your budget? Well, the third man comes up and he's eager too. says, I will follow you, Lord. But again, he's got an exception, doesn't he? I will, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replies, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's a good illustration, isn't it? When you're plowing, uh, whether you're doing it by hand or whether you're guiding the, the ox that's pulling the plow along, you're steering you're making sure it goes in a straight line. And if you're turning around, what happens to the plow? It goes off track. It goes around a corner. And your field ends up as a mess. But Jesus says anyone who's coming to the kingdom but has also got their attention, their heart elsewhere, they've got divided loyalties, it's going to end up in a mess and they're not fit for service in God's kingdom. Those who follow Jesus can't have two masters, as Jesus says in another place. We can't have this heart that's trying to serve two gods, whether it be money or family or job or popularity or pleasure. We can't do both, can we? No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants costly commitment from his followers. He wants them with no ambivalence. He doesn't want them to be in two minds about these things. No divided loyalties. Those who would follow Jesus must come expecting no home, no temporary resolution, no welcome by this world. They must expect that Jesus' priority, his kingdom, must rise above everything else to be the number one. And they must expect that they follow him wholeheartedly. It's a big 
full, costly discipleship team. He wants everything. And that's part of what repentance is, isn't it? Jesus calls followers to repent and believe the good news. Repentance is that turning away from all the other things that would take us away from Jesus. It's turning away from the desire for worldly things. It's turning away from those other priorities, those other claims. It's turning away ultimately from any other relationship or pull on us so that we're oriented towards Jesus fully. Now, that's not to say that none of these other things exist. We still live in this world, but it's not a permanent home, is it? We live here as though we're passing through. And we still have lots of other things on our plate. In fact, they are some of the ways that we live out being followers of Jesus, aren't they? the other priorities through our work, through our education, through our relationships, through what we do with our time and energy, they are all ways that we live. They're spheres in which we express our discipleship of Jesus. But they have to go in that order, don't they? They have to be areas of our life that serve the kingdom, come under his lordship. And there's lots of other things that we can be committed to. Lots of other causes and relationships that will pull on us. But first and foremost, our undivided loyalty needs to be with Jesus. Friends, it's the start of a new year, isn't it? It's often the time when we're thinking about what's coming up. We're looking forward. What's on the calendar? What are we hoping for? What are we working towards? As you think about your plans for this year, are you first and foremost planning to be following Jesus? Is that taking ultimate priority in your calendar. As you look at all the things that are, that are nice, think about holidays, it's wonderful to be able to enjoy those things, isn't it? But is your ultimate pleasure, is it in knowing God? Are you able to enjoy a holiday knowing that it's God who provides ultimate peace. And whatever aspect, whatever ways we can taste a glimpse of that now is a foretaste of the peace and rest that we find in Him. Can you enjoy the good things of life in that way? Can you look at the things that you will achieve and that you're working towards And know that that's actually, it's part of building things towards his kingdom. Is it leading to his name 
being raised in honour? Or is it your own name that you are seeking to build? Your own kingdom? As you look at yourself and think, well, maybe there's some things I need to work on this year. I'm going to transform my life, habits, health kick, whatever it is. Plenty of good things to think about. But are you ultimately concerned with being more like Christ as a person? Is that the transformation that you are longing to see in yourself? These are the things that ultimately need to be driving us, don't they, as followers of Christ? It's a costly commitment. We know it's costly, don't we, because we're following the one who had his face set towards Jerusalem, who was going there to suffer and die, to be rejected. And as we follow him, we're not literally following him to Jerusalem as some of these disciples were, but we're following him in the same path of rejection. But we do it full of hope, knowing that his rejection achieved for us. What does it achieve? It achieves forgiveness of our sins. It achieves a home. A home where we can lay our heads. A home with Jesus. Where he's with him. It achieves for us access into his kingdom. The kingdom that will stand forever. Unlike our temporary achievements, his kingdom will stand. And it achieves for us reconciliation with God who loves us with a fierce, untainted love. He's not in two minds about it, is he? He's committed to us. So though commitment to Christ is costly, we know that the cost of not following Jesus would be even greater. In fact, the cost of following Jesus, though it's hard, though it costs us everything, we know that it's a small price in the grand scheme of things. Friends, 2023, this is going to be a year following Jesus. For you, for our church, for our neighbours and friends. Let's pray that it is. Lord God, thank you for showing us the, the costly commitment that Jesus calls for. Please help none of us to be blind to what it is. Help us to understand more and more 
but his costly commitment. He's the most precious thing, the most valuable thing that we can do. Help us to, in 2023, work for love, be directed towards, pray for, long for your kingdom. We pray that you'd bring that in us as individuals. We pray that you'd bring that more and more in our church. And we pray that you would bring that in our community, in the hearts and minds of our friends and family who aren't yet following Jesus. We pray these things in his wonderful name. Amen.